Well, good morning and welcome, and uh, I trust you have your Bibles with you. And we're going to read from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, starting to read at verse 32 through to verse 34. So, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on the way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside, and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Uh, may God add his blessing to that reading of his word. Let's just pray before we start. Our Father, we come to you in our own weakness and our own lack of understanding, but we pray that as we look at these words together, you will open them up for us that we might see more of you. And our Father, we pray that through our time together, your name might be glorified. As we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 34. Let us look at what we already know before we look at the verses that we've just read this morning. And this will help us not just to understand what will happen here, but will help us to link in what has already happened and will help us to understand what will happen later in verses 35 through to 45. So, what have we learned so far? Because this is relevant to what will happen now. Chapter 8, verse 29. The disciples confessed to Jesus that they knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah. When asked, who do people say I am? It was Peter, Peter who answered, and Peter said, you are the Messiah. We come to chapter 9 and verse 2. On this occasion, three of the disciples witnessed the transfiguration. We read that Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone and there he was transfigured before them. When we come to chapter 9 verse 34, the disciples had argued about who was the greatest amongst them. Then we come to chapter 10 verse 13 through to 16 and here Jesus is teaching about who can and who cannot enter the kingdom of God. And on this occasion, he uses a little child to illustrate his point. Come to verse 17 and through to verse 30 of chapter 10. And up steps a rich man who wants to earn his way into God's kingdom by being good. But he goes away sad when Jesus tells him that he must let go of the thing that he holds more important than the salvation of his soul. Verse 31 of chapter 10. Jesus leaves the disciples with these words, and he does it without giving them an explanation of what they might mean. He just says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, as we come to our passage for this morning, and as we begin to unpack it together, we will begin to understand why it starts the way it does. Why it starts with these words. 
Mark records for us in John chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. So what we have here is that they're on their way now to Jerusalem but it's slightly different than some of the times before because here they are astonished and afraid. They're astonished and afraid about what they have just heard. You know, Jesus never ever said anything without a reason. So, why should he say to them, but many who are first will be last, and the last first? This phrase, I believe, would stick in the minds of the disciples. As they made an effort to understand what they had seen and what they had heard, it would also become relevant to them when later in the ignorance and their lack of understanding they make what we can see as being a ridiculous request but then we have the benefit of hindsight which they didn't have so in their ignorance they make this ridiculous request that we will look at a bit later in order for them to be able to see things in context they would need to be reminded of something that was very important in fact, without this, nothing would make any sense. But with it, all the pieces would eventually fall into place. And this is the most important piece of the picture that they need to see. And we read that Jesus took his disciples to one side. We read these words. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. What they're about to hear at this point still won't make any sense to them. They still won't understand it, but it is vital that they know it. It's imperative that they hear these words from the lips of Jesus himself. Because these events that he's about to reveal to them will change their lives and the lives of all who put their trust in him. And in what he is about to do. He's telling them he's about to die. And he's telling them that he will rise again. So Jesus continues to speak to them in the passage that we read together. And this is what he said. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Let's just stop a moment and consider that. I don't know what the disciples were thinking when they heard this. They know by now that Jesus had made some enemies among the religious leaders and the lawmakers in Jerusalem. We know already that some of the disciples were afraid. We know that there are always those for whom the glass is always half empty and for others where the glass is always half full. But if any were thinking along these lines so we're going to Jerusalem right we're going to meet with the chief priests and the teachers of the law right maybe Jesus who we know is the son of man and we know what power he has and maybe with the power that he has he will win over these leaders and they will hail him as king if any were actually thinking along those lines they were in for a shock because this is what Jesus continued to say. 
We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Now, the continuation of this statement will leave them all in no doubt as to what will happen to Jesus in Jerusalem. Because he told them, he said, they will condemn him, that's he speaking about himself here, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. The disciples knew what the reference to the Gentiles means. It means the Romans. And the Romans have the authority to condemn people to death. And Jesus continues in plain and graphic language. And this is what he says about them. These are the, the Gentiles, the Romans, that he's been handed over to by the leaders in Jerusalem. This is what he said. Who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. The disciples will have seen this sort of thing before. Public execution was exactly what it says. It was public. It was barbaric. It was cruel. And it was final. I can imagine the silence as they, the disciples, looked at each other, open-mouthed, not believing the words that they had just heard, but realising by the look of fear on each other's faces and the seriousness of the tone of the voice of Jesus that these words must be true. I wonder if the shock of what they had just heard took away the importance of the next six words that Jesus spoke. Three days later, he will rise again. Six words that probably didn't really hit home until after the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know and we don't know what the rest of the journey towards Jerusalem was like but I can imagine it was silent apart from the discussions the disciples might have had among themselves. We know that they did talk amongst themselves. They would have noticed and taken note of not just the words that Jesus had spoken but also the serious way in which he said them to to them. Body language and tone of voice can tell us a lot about a person. Let us for a moment go back to that first verse in chapter 10 that we read, verse 32. Let's just consider that for a moment. Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. On this journey to Jerusalem, was Jesus walking with purpose in his step? Did he have a determination in his eyes? And were the disciples following, wondering why the change in his demeanour? Was this part of what caused them to be afraid? Were they waiting for him to speak? And in the meantime, did they walk behind talking quietly amongst themselves, trying to figure things out and discuss things between themselves. 
Why do I say this? Well, I say this because of what Isaiah said some hundreds of years earlier about Jesus and about the time of his death and about the things that would happen to him. And these things are about to happen. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. Because of the sovereign, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and now I know I will not be put to shame. Is this the time, and I think it is, that Jesus has set his face like a flint as he went towards Jerusalem? There's a phrase that we used to use a lot to describe a work colleague who was focused on the task ahead of him. One that he was approaching with determination and purpose and there'd be a change in his demeanour. And when someone would ask, what's up with him? Probably because he wasn't talking much. Probably because he was so serious and so concerned with what was happening. But people who didn't know him would say, what's up with him? And the answer would be, He's on a mission. Was Jesus on a mission? Yes, he was. Jesus was on a mission. A mission that started before time began and a mission that continues right through to today and will continue beyond. Let's just take a walk through the Gospel of John. John, one of the disciples who was there when all these things were happening, John, who didn't understand them at the time when they were happening. John, who one of the two disciples, who we will see next week, made the ridiculous request to sit on either the right or the left hand of Jesus when Jesus was in glory. John, who wrote his gospel, so that you and I might learn from his mistakes and that we might know who Jesus is. Let's start with John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's speaking about Jesus. And John goes on to tell us in that first chapter in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's for a moment just leave John and go to Matthew's Gospel. And pay a quick visit there when we come to the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She, this is meaning Mary, his mother. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Back to John. And we arrive at the start of the public ministry of Jesus and in John chapter 1 verse 29. And this is speaking about John the Baptist and what John the Baptist said. The next day John, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is telling us why he came. And in John 10 verse 10 he goes on. These are the words of Jesus. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Are you beginning to see the picture? 
You begin to see the mission that Jesus was on and why he was on this mission. We come to John 17 and we read about when Jesus prays before his death, before his crucifixion. And in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 17, and this is part of his prayer. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. They were words from Jesus as he prayed to God the Father just prior to his death. And he's praying about us and for us. And John goes on and tells us what happened after his death. John 20, verse second part of verse 8 and verse 9. He, this is John, and this is when he sees the empty tomb. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. See what I mean about the truth of those words, that Jesus would rise on the third day, would not really begin to be understood fully until after the resurrection, but they were understood fully. And John is now here saying this. He saw and believed, but still not understanding from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John believes in Jesus. He believes in his death. He saw it. He believes in his resurrection. He's now witnessing that fact. And at this point, he still didn't understand everything, but there was no need. And there's no need for us to understand everything. Just enough to know that Jesus died for us, that he rose again, and the price for our sin was paid. John goes on, and he tells us this in John 3, verse 16 through to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There we have it. The mission that Jesus was on was to save his people, that's you and I, from their sins. And at the end here, in these verses we've just read, John is saying, whoever believes in him, that's believing and trusting in what he has done, that he has paid the price for your sins, and if we truly believe that and accept it, then we are not condemned. We will not come under the wrath of God.
but then there's the warning. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Let me just read that short passage again as we, in our own hearts, consider it and ask the question, where do I stand? How do I stand before God? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And one of the lessons we've learned this morning is we do not have to understand everything, just enough to know that we are sinners, that we stand condemned before a holy God. But there's a price been paid by Jesus when he died and rose again. And if we accept that and invite him into our lives, if we come to him, if we come to him in repentance and accept him, then we are those who believe in him, who are not condemned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your words this morning. We ask in the quietness of these few moments, you will still our hearts in your presence, that we might examine our hearts, that we might see how we stand before you. For those of us who have accepted you as our Saviour, we praise you and thank you. If there's any who haven't, our Father, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, open their eyes, open their hearts, that they might come to you in true repentance and accept the gift, the free gift of salvation that you graciously give. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless.